0: I like to offer a question in these, and I'm just going to open with the question in this case. Do you like this episode? And, if so, do you mind sharing why? Now, obviously, since I don't have the red lighting up, this is not lamentation status. In fact, I wouldn't even say this is terrible. It's just... There? And I'm just kind of like, okay. it It's filler. Let's just go ahead and say that. But, again, filler is not necessarily a bad thing. We've already seen that. I mean, similitude is the example I keep pointing to. But there is such a thing as good filler in games and movies and books and shows. So the filler content isn't necessarily the bad thing. The breather part isn't the bad thing. It's just, what the hell is up with this episode? This is written by Sussman, uh, asterisk, and directed by Dawson. She does a good job, as usual. But the reason I bring that up, that asterisk, is originally, this was the Columbia. There's actually a reference to this in the episode proper. Because the original idea was that the Columbia had been outfitted and went into the corridor to come help Enterprise. And when they went through, they went back in time, 117 years, whatever it was. And then they're like, well, okay, well, we can't get back out. So we're going to go ahead and become a generational ship to assist Enterprise when we get there. Sussman was told... So, Sussman himself has actually given an interview about this exact topic. He has not named names, to my knowledge. He was told by the producers... Keep in mind, he himself is not actually really a producer yet. I mean, yeah, he's on the producer's staff, but there's like five of those, right? He is not in charge. So, he was told by someone above him, Nah, 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 change it, change it. Make it, make it the Enterprise crew. Now why? In my opinion, this singular change makes the story worse in every way. On the one hand, you might think, well, but think of all the budget you can save, except not. The visuals for the ship need to remain the same, and you need to hire new crew members and new guest stars in order to be the new crew, whether they are descendants of Enterprise or descendants of of the Columbia. It doesn't change anything. So that doesn't reduce the cost. So it doesn't help that way it doesn't help in terms of making it more investing because all that seems to do is, well, in many ways, I mean, there's no nice way to say this. It repeats the Children of Time trick. And I didn't exactly care for that episode either. Well, at least that episode was used to some good effect with regards to some of the characters. In this case, it seems to be the exact opposite. I'll get to that in a minute. So why make the change? I mean, did they really want to put old makeup on Jolene Blaylock? Was that the motivation? I I don't know. I don't see the purpose in this. And maybe it's just because I find this episode to be meh. Like we talked we've talked before. I don't think I don't know if this has come up in Enterprise. Rue Meh Nations, you know, with the MEH in the middle. Uh this would be one of those. This is just a whatever burger. I'll never watch this episode again. Not because it's bad, I mean there are bad elements to it, but just because it's such a nothing burger that I just don't care. <sighs> Anyways, whatever. So the episode starts. And this then leads to a scene that I want to like and I don't. Which is, which is true for several scenes in this episode. Tucker goes in to try and help DePaul. Um, I don't know how to phrase this, so I'm gonna fail at this. But what happens here is Tucker is written badly and DePaul is not written great. Now, she's not actually written badly. She's okay. She is in emotional denial and she's still having trouble dealing with that. That makes sense and that lines up. The problem is Tucker is acting like he's suddenly a teenager here, which I could see you excusing, but given, given we've already seen this person be mature around her multiple times for three seasons, I feel it's a little bit off-putting for him to suddenly revert to this status for this episode. This is the character assassination thing I mentioned earlier. In multiple scenes, he just does not know how to present himself to her at all, and childishly... Provokes her and doesn't actually pick up on any of the significant things he needs to be here for. In fact, rather than actually just trying to be there for her, which would have worked and would have been talker while we're on the subject, instead he keeps trying to provoke the we should be in a relationship angle. I don't know how to explain that. You know what that is, right? You've either seen it in fiction or in real life or done it or been it, had it done to you. We should be together. You know, that kind of almost stubborn insistence and getting all pissy and upset because you don't want to be with me, so why not? You know, that's that's the attitude he has in these scenes, and it's just bizarre to see this from him. I could see him being hurt. I could see him being a little bit wounded by this, but I can't see him reacting like this, especially given literally the last episode. (sighs) To prove that I'm not completely against this episode, I do want to point out that Blaylock does some good things in this scene. She, there's this crack in her voice as she says, I'm fine. I'm, 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 I'm okay. There's nothing wrong here. And there's, you could literally hear the tears in her voice as she says it. That's good acting. It also is pretty much the giant blinking bright neon sign that says, I am not fine. Please help me. Naturally, Tucker leaves the room. Again, I call bull. There is literally no one else on this ship, possibly no one else in this setting, who knows her better than he does at this point in time. (sighs) Anyways, this is when we find out about the Kavalins, who will be the threat of the week. Um, The Kavalins, of course, uh, like to protect the garden. You might call them the protectors of the Garden of Kadesh. And they're they like, we must destroy. This is also when we find out about a little tidbit. Now, I don't know if they had this plan in advance. I tried to look into it. I didn't find much, as usual. There's just not a lot of information about Enterprise. So, this was either some interesting improv or something they laid in advance. If you remember, they kept talking about other human ships in The Expanse. Even though, obviously, there's no knowledge of that. Except for the fact that the the other NX-01 has been here for over a century, which would lead to that. Okay, that's cool. We also see the hodgepodge hull. Hull, that's pretty cool. Uh, Really quick, we have a cool scene. The only cool scene in the entire episode. Which is all about the politics. Once again, the primate politician is kind of on the side of the good guys. But is just a little bit more demanding in what is required. And he's far more practical about it. The evidence might be faked. He is correct about that. That's not outside of their possibilities. Uh, Maybe. And, well, even when Degra says we just need to go and defend them so the reptilians don't fire, he is the one to point out, why do you think the reptilians will not fire on us? He is something... So we've got Jannar... Who's the skeptic? We've got Degra, who's the true believer. Now we have this guy who I didn't look up his name because why would I look up the name of a character? I, I I'm going to blame my headache. Is that cool? Tucker Smallwood. Again, he's an actor I, I rather like. Wow. His, his character doesn't have a name. It's literally Zindi Primate Counselor. That's, that's just whatever. Anyways, point being he, uh, he's the realist. Or the pragmatist, I suppose you could call it. He's trying to attend to the reality of the situation. Okay, that's nice, but what do we do about it? And how do we react to it? That's kind of the the thing that he's focused on. And they do some good stuff with him. And then the scene's over. We get back to the bleh. So explain, 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 explain. And we have this really unbelievable story about how we're really time travelers. But we'll totally prove it to you if we show your evidence. Gosh, that sounds familiar. Anyways... So Vulcans and humans are now able to reproduce. There's a line uh, to Paul mentions, something along the lines of, you know, uh, I forget how she phrases it. There's never been a successful attempt, I believe is how she phrases it. That's interesting in its own right, because it means there have been attempts. Now, you're probably thinking, duh, but on the one hand, obviously humans would want to marry Vulcans. I'm pretty sure that's true of real life humans. What I find more interesting is that Vulcans would want to marry humans. Now, we all know about, you know, uh, the wonderful and amazing uh, Sarek. I, I couldn't think of his name. I kept wanting to say Surak, and it's was like, no. No, the other one. <laughs> the other legendary Vulcan. We all know about Sarek and his wives. Uh, one You know, one and then the other, depending on the generation in question. But that's quite a ways from now, and he was a little bit ostracized for that. It's something we talk about both in TUS and in TAS. And, of course, Spock had to re- deal with a lot of ridicule and cultural bias and blah, 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 blah. So it is interesting to me that he was not, shall we say, alone in that perspective. It does make sense, though, if I'm being completely honest. Vulcans aren't really universally like the High Command is. As I've pointed out before, most of the antagonizement we've been getting from the Vulcans has been the High Command, something the creative staff would notice and take and use in Season 4. I mentioned a Vulcan arc. And so the idea of just normal everyday Vulcans, yeah, no, that lines up. I mean, hell's bells. You remember back in, I forget the name of the episode where they go back where the Vulcans landed in the past and they, one of them ended up, you know, kind of hooking up with the local. I mean, there's, there's a degree of logic to that, isn't there? As horrible as that may sound to put it that way. Anyways, so then, um, we have a scene that's probably supposed to be heartwarming. David Andrews does as best as he can as Lorien. He's not bad of a guest star. I don't want to dis- disparage him. He he's does decent work, and he's done decent work over the years. Usually is like a military role. You know, Terminator 3, which actually came out right around this time, funnily enough. But no, he's just kind of there, and so the scene just kind of falls flat. And then we get to probably one of the only humorous scenes in the episode for me where we find out that, of course, Flocks had multiple kids. Of course so many of these people are Denobulan. Nine children. <sighs> so then they talk about hooking up. This is probably one of the worst ep- scenes in the episode for me. Not because of what you're thinking. So the scene is badly constructed. Frame the scene in your mind for a moment. Uh, it's Hoshi and Travis. They have just gotten food. They're ready to go. They sit down. And then Reed comes in. They find out that Reed's single. And then they're like, oh, well, I'm I'm on duty in a second. And leave without having eaten or drinking anything. Just because the intent being shown is they're just so embarrassed to be around the single guy. That's so terrible. And Reed is, of course, so embarrassed to be the only bachelor left. And this is so terrible. And it's played off for laughs. I'm not laughing. Uh, okay, it, it is basically a wah-wah. I don't care for wah-wah scenes in general, but this one, this one's pretty awkward. This leads to Lorian. I do what I have to. I must do the horrible evil thing to be the greatest edgelord the universe has ever. What does this look like, I wonder? As <laughs> I rotate here, to the camera? I probably shouldn't do that. Uh, I, what are you doing, Lorian? I must do this to complete my mission. It's the only way. I must. It, uh, okay, okay. So his justification is that Archer's doing the exact same thing he did last time, which is provably false. In addition to the fact that he has additional information and a great deal of extensive time proven theory crafting on it in order to try and make th- sure that things work correctly this time, he also has your assistance with both parts and supplies, as well as tech upgrades. I, I'm sorry. Let me try to break this down real simple-like. Now, this isn't a hammer. This is my uh, back scratcher. Pretend it's a hammer, okay? Pretend it's a rock. And there's a nail. And, now, and Lorian is like, wham! Oh, well, I missed really badly. Wham! Right onto his thumb. Ow! And from Lorian's perspective, well, I tried to hammer in the nail... But I hit my thumb. Therefore, I should never try to do that again. And then Archer comes in and says, well, hang on. Why don't we get one of those little uh thumb blockers, put it under there. I, f- I forget what they're called. They're like a little chunk of plastic. So you hit that if you miss instead of your thumb. And it helps you to brace it. And then you go, bam, bam, bam. And there's also some other tools. So we, we can make up some other tools. But basically, what if we had all this stuff? And then we try to hammer the nail in properly this time. And Lorian's like, no, you're just doing the same thing, man. You don't understand, man. They're going to get you, man. Now, I get it. He's all wigged out. Sure. But this is dumb. And the fact that his whole crew goes along with it is actually dumber. So, therefore, we must do this. It is the only option to Maximum edge lord. Hang on. Let me later try to get the, the Kubrick stare here. It is Maximum edge lord. <laughs> can't even do it with a straight face. Uh, so, they fight. We... Uh, actually, before they fight, Tucker decides to be a five-year-old to Paul for a bit. I, I, I don't honestly have anything else to add to this. To reaction of denial and aggressive pushing against him makes perfect sense. It does. She is dealing with things she does not know how to comprehend or, or deal with, so she's flailing. I expect better of Tucker. This then leads to him accidentally finding out, his son shooting him, the battle. I will say only one good thing about the battle. Literally only one. Two. Sorry, I forgot the other thing. First of all, he actually... actually, For once, they disable the warp engines of another ship before they just warp out. Because it takes a second. So, okay. Now we've got a fight. Cool. This then immediately leads to Lorian deciding to go too far. I will kill all your people in order to accomplish my mission. Because edginess... And also guild, but we're not there yet. You gotta have the the Batman voice. I'll do what I must to save my mission. Where is the bomb? And so this leads to one the other thing that I've mentioned that is a positive thing. For once. I think this may actually be the second time ever. Possibly closer to like five if you want to count. Little snippets here and there, but one of the very, very, very few times they use the transporter in combat. As a weapon, because it is. <laughs> the transporter is a tool. And they actually use it to start beaming power supplies out of the other ship. Yeah. What's funny is this actual exact thing was something they couldn't do against the, I forget what they were, race back in, uh, back in damage, specifically because they were in, in threat of permanently damaging the ship. But thankfully, Enterprise is all modular, so they can just, <laughs> Slide those batteries right out of there. <sighs> so, here's a horrible thought for you. Lorraine is like, I failed everyone. Everything was awful. It's all my fault. I'm pretty sure that things would have gone incredibly badly if he had rammed that ship. It rammed the probe. Oh, he might have destroyed the probe. But really think about that for a second. In that one action, he would have doomed... Not only the human race, but most of the galaxy. You may or may not remember, back in uh, Azadi Prime, they mentioned that by that point, 400 years in the future, the expanse is 50,000 light years in diameter. That's huge. That is That is actually larger than a quadrant. Think about what it does to living things inside that space. Really think about it for a moment. Think about how many lives, how many probably in the quadrillions range of lives, of how many planets, both spacefaring and otherwise, have been consumed by that. And remember that that was stopped there, and it was still going at that point. Imagine if it wasn't stopped at that point. All of that could have been could have been happening if he had actually rammed that probe. Why? Because, first of all, if the probe had run rammed, they would have been like, oh my gosh, the humans are here. Clearly we must ramp up security, we must build the weapon quickly, and there would have been no doubt, no hesitation in anyone's mind, that they have to build this probe and do it now. They would have also been more convinced than ever of the truth of the Teutarians' lie. Therefore, no possibility of peace or alliance would ever even be on the table. But none of that would even matter, because Earth would never have a warning. No probe, no warning. Remember? Remember? It was something I complained about because it was dumb. But that probe attack all the way back in The Expanse, back in Season 2, that's the only reason any of this is happening. Because they gave away their attack. If it wasn't for that attack, Earth would have just been like, da la 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 And at some point in time, Archer would have been like, hey, what's going on? That's funny, we can't raise Earth. And then time would pass, and eventually they'd find out Earth was destroyed. And then the the Teutarians win. Yay! All of that could have happened if they had decided to ram that probe. How's that for a fun thought? Unfortunately, the episode is not clever enough to think about this and doesn't even mention this as a possibility. Which, of course, leads me next to uh, the scene where T'Pol has to tell T'Pol the stuff I've already told you. This scene is fine. There's some special effects errors, which I'm not going to nitpick. But it's okay, because what it is is Paul telling herself the things that she needs to know, that it's okay to feel, that you need to figure out those feelings, and that you need to process them, rather than trying to continue to lock them away or deny them, like she has been doing. Like I said, the Paul side of this episode is fine, and it's one of the things that helps to salvage it. This, of course, leads me to the big finale. They fight the garden, they fight the Kadeshi. And they push against them. And then, you know, the other NXO one is like, we'll stay behind to defend you. We will hold the line. And as they're, as they're holding the line, they rush through the corridor. They don't come back through. Well, I I don't understand. Were they destroyed? Well, there's another possibility. Maybe they never existed. No, if they never existed, they would have already never existed because the moment that time was, so the theory that Archer postulates is that the, that since they don't go into the past, the past thems never existed. The problem is, that already happened. The moment of divergence in the timeline happened the moment they prevented them from entering the corridor the first time. So that doesn't apply. So that's that's off the table. Which means they are still back there, and they managed to probably be destroyed. Your guess is as good as mine. They never address this. This never comes up again. So who knows? What do you think? What do you think happened? Now, obviously, them being destroyed is the easy answer, and it is my theory as well. I think they got blasted to hell. But you're probably thinking, wait, hang on. Lore, if they never go back to the past, why are they there? Time Traveler's traveler's Exemption Clause. It's a very, very common thing that most fiction uses. Sometimes it's justified in-universe, sometimes it's just a conceit of the writer. For those of you not aware, I should discuss this over in my Back to the Future 2 rumination. This year? Next year? Last year? I've already recorded it from my perspective. Um... The idea is the time traveler is exempt to the time traveling. This is mandatory in most cases, because if it, if that didn't work that way, then the moment they time travel, they would have never time traveled because of the alterations they have done to prevent the circumstances which lead to their time travel to happening. Now, that only applies in a Type 2 scenario, which this appears to be malleable timeline where things can be altered. This is clearly not Type 3 time travel, because if it was then there wouldn't be the interaction between the two timelines. So this is clearly type 2 time travel. Okay, It's also probably not type 1 time travel. No, it is definitively not type 1 time travel because otherwise things would have always happened the way they always did. Instead, this is someone goes back, comes to here, and then helps them within, within a singular timeline, type 2 time travel. Now, with time traveler's exemption clause, there's no there's no holes here. They went back... They come forward, they alter time, they're immune to the the changes to time because, exemption clause, and then something happens to them. They are probably blown up, let's be honest. It is a little bit too neat to just chop that little thread off and be done with it. I wish I felt something about that, but, I mean, it's it's the filler problem. How many of you watch anime? Now, I'm, I've only watched a bit of anime over my life. I usually like one or two episodes of God, I don't know, like a hundred shows at this point. But one of the things that even I'm aware of is there's this tendency to have like an anime miniseries or a movie, which, suddenly, which happens in the middle of an existing series and suddenly introduces this big new character and this big new villain that you've never heard of before, and they're very important. And then the movie or miniseries ends and they go away and are never referenced again. That's this episode. You see why I'm just kind of meh on the whole thing? Now, as usual, the question comes up, how would I rewrite this? That's a damn good question. Because, well, as weird as this may sound, I feel like there should be no breather episode here. I'm good with breather episodes, and I'm good with pacing. But if you've been paying attention, the trilogy we already saw already had good pacing throughout it. We had our high moments and we had our low moments, and it dipped back and forth between the two. So there's no need for a breather episode because we've had breaths in the episodes. So what I would do is eject it entirely. I know I keep saying that, but I stand by it. There is no need for an additional episode here for any narrative purpose. Nothing is added to the crew other than a few repairs. Nothing is changed for the ship. Other, I don't know if he repairs. The Tapal stuff could have been done as part of another episode, and arguably is. Spoilers. And nothing else is relevant. It's a, it, So, why do this at all? Just get to the next episode. I mean, God's sakes. But let's say the executive mandate came on down. Chukong, you must. Hang on, that's how executives talk, right? No, no. The, the way executives talk all right so i say i'm gonna need you to make another dumb episode i'm not going to give you the proper budget to do it and uh, i'm not going to give you the proper time to do it and it needs to happen in the plot where there should be no extra episode so if you could do that for me i appreciate it thanks and that's what the actual executives would say so what do you do with it there i'm actually not going to answer that question for once i really do want to hear your thoughts if you don't mind if you don't mind sharing, I know I asked that a lot, but I love it. I love hearing, I love hearing y'all's answers and comments and thoughts. I've had people start to join in the rewrite thing, not the actual rewrite project, that that's a more structured thing we're doing, but just saying, here's how I would rewrite this episode. I've been seeing that since like TNG season one. So please, if you don't mind, share. Otherwise, I'm out. Next time, we're going to actually wrap this sucker up. I'm also going to lay down a bit. i got a bit of a headache. So, see you next time.